0: You're listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Paul Boutin on the Calvary Brighton Podcast. You know, when I was 10 years old, this was back in in 1980, I think the number one song on the charts at the time was, was the song Love Stinks by the Jay Giles Band. Now, those of you that are my age, all of a sudden now have the chorus of the song running through your head and you're like, yeah, thank you very much. Uh, but but you know it's sort of the anthem for the for the broken hearted, right? Well the apostle Paul this morning was not writing uh, to, to the broken hearted survivors of a breakup, but rather he was he was writing to a broken church, a divided church, a church that loved fighting with each other. I mean, this was a church that, that loved to fight over spiritual gifts. They, they loved to fight over, over their favorite preacher. They loved to fight over, over wisdom. They loved to fight over, over sophistication. But the problem was that they did not love one another. In fact, in many ways, they don't sound that different than the modern church today. You, you know, and in some ways, you could call this not only the book of 1 Corinthians, you could call it the book of First Americans, because it sounds a lot like the modern American church of our day. In fact, a recent Barna survey says that that 92% of uh, of all Christians in America claim that they love God passionately. But the problem is that those same 92% of of American Christians who who claim that they love God passionately also admit that it's loving God's people that they have the problem with. <laughs> you know, and, and 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 that that was the Corinthian Church's problem. And so apparently the Corinthians had forgotten the time when, when the religious leaders had asked Jesus what was the greatest commandment. And Jesus told them the greatest commandment. He said in, in Matthew 22, verse 37, he says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And then he went on to say, And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And so in some ways, you could say this morning that the Apostle Paul was reminding the Corinthian church of the greatest commandment, that the greatest of these is love. So now with that, as we go back to verse 8, the the question that we want to wrestle with is this. Is it really true that love never fails? Is that really true? Because in verse 8, Paul said, Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. And as for knowledge, it will pass away. And so Paul begins by saying that love never ends. At least that's how it reads in the ESV, the English Standard Version. Now, some of you in, 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 more, uh, in, in other English versions, like, like the New King James, yours would read, love never fails. That's how most of us have heard it. That's how most of us have memorized it. In fact, that's how most of, it, most of us have even read it on Hallmark cards. You know, maybe, maybe you get somebody a wedding anniversary card, and, and it quotes this passage, and, and it'll say, love is patient, love is kind, love doesn't envy, it doesn't boast, it's not prideful, it's not rude, and, and it doesn't do this, and it doesn't do that. And then finally, it sums it all up by saying, love never fails, but the problem is that some of us have had people in our lives who have vowed that they loved us, but they've failed us. they failed us. In fact, this past year, uh, 2022, some 827,261 marriages have ended in divorce. In fact, 69% of those divorces were because of an affair. Uh, surveyors uh, predict that somewhere between 30 to 60 percent of the divorces this next year will be because not only affairs, but uh, they, they predict that, that married couples will cheat uh, at least once in their marriage. Somewhere between 30 to 60 will, percent will cheat at least once in their marriage. And, and, and unfortunately, some of you have been there, some of you know this pain. Now, there's of you, maybe it's not divorce. Maybe, maybe for some of you, you know the pain of what it feels like to be rejected by your own adult children. I mean, you poured your lives into them. You raised them. You gave them everything you have, and, and now they've turned their backs on you. Others of you, however, it's not your children. Maybe it's your parents who have disowned you. Your parents have turned their backs on you. You know, I, I read a poem. It, it, it's titled, I Loved Once there's a line in the poem that says, they never loved who dreamed that they loved once. Now that poem was written by by Elizabeth Barrett Browning. Now her story is this, her story is that Elizabeth Barrett had met and fell in love with an author by the name of Robert Browning. They fell in love and they got married, but the problem was that her parents disapproved of him. They didn't want him to get married to their daughter. In fact, so much so that when they got married anyway without their blessing, her parents disowned her. They stopped talking to her. They cut her off, and they never talked to her again. So now Elizabeth Barrett Browning, she, she decides she's going to write letters, love letters, to her parents. She writes one letter every week. And, and in these letters, she's pouring out her heart to her parents. She's begging for reconciliation, begging for, for a restoration of relationship. And so she writes one letter every week for 10 years. And finally, after 10 years of sending these letters, one day she, she, she gets a package in the mail, this huge box. And, and, and it's from her parents. And, and she's excited. She, she's like, you know what? Finally, after 10 years of pouring my heart out to my parents, all my efforts have paid off. They want a relationship with me again. They're, they want reconciliation. So she's excited. She opens the box. But to her shock, to her dismay, to her heartache, inside that box was every letter she ever wrote, and every one of them had never been opened. They never read her letters, and they sent them back to her. Some of you know this pain. And so it begs the question, if, if, if people who claim that they love us have, 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 have failed us, then how can it be true that love never fails? Well, now as we look at this verse, there's two things I want you to notice. There's two things I want you to understand when, it, when Paul says love never ends, or in other translations, love never fails. Number one, I want you to understand that in the original language, the Greek that this was written in, the word ends or fails, when it says love never ends, love never fails, it's a Greek word that literally means falls, in, in that it doesn't fall short. In fact, it carries the idea that, that it never stops. It, it never ceases. It, it, it doesn't come to a halt. That's number one. Number two, I want you to understand that, that in this verse, when he says love never fails, the Greek word for love here is the, the Greek word agape. Now, by way of review, remember last week, if you weren't here, by the way, last week, you want to catch that message as well. It's, it's on, our, on our website and on our YouTube. But you want to catch that message because it's kind of a, a part one of a part two series. But, but we, we mentioned last week that there's four different Greek words for the word love. Uh, there's, there's phileo, for example, which means brotherly love or friendship love. Then there's uh, storge, which would be family love, the kind of love that, that you would have for your child. And then there's, then there's eros, uh, r- romantic love, the kind of love you would have for your spouse in certain moments, if you know what I mean. And, and then finally, there's agape love. Now, agape love, this is, this is uh, described as, as the highest form of love. It's, it's, it's described as, as perfect love. It's described as, as sacrificial love. It's literally the love of God. And so that's the word that Paul uses here when he says love never fails. Literally what he's saying is, you know what? The love of God never fails. Perfect love never fails. His love never fails. His love does not fall short. His love doesn't cease. It doesn't stop. It doesn't come to an abrupt halt. It's the highest form of love. What it's saying is this. It's saying, you know what? That he's never going to leave you. He's never going to abandon you. He is not going to be like everyone else. He will never walk out on you. We have this promise from God himself and way, way, way back in Deuteronomy 31, verse 6, where it says, Be strong and of good courage. Do not fear nor be afraid of them. For the Lord your God, he is the one who goes with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Now some of you, you've had a spouse leave you and forsake you. You've, you've had parents turn their back on you. You've had people that you care about. Some of you have, have even been hurt by people in the church a brother in Christ, a sister in Christ. You, you've been betrayed by someone. Listen, that was the Corinthian church. The Corinthian church was a church that was filled with people who have been victims of, of gossip, victims of slander, victims of division, filled with, with people who got hurt by those who claimed they loved Jesus. And so the bottom line is that, you know what? In this world, you'll have friends that fail you. In this world, you'll have family that fail you. You'll have brothers in Christ and sisters in Christ who may fail you. But you know what? God's love will never fail you. In fact, I'll take it a step further. 1 John chapter 4, verse, verse 8 says, He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. He doesn't just show love. He doesn't just have love. He is love. That's who he is. I love the way C.S. Lewis put it when he said, he loved us not because we're so lovable, but because he is love. Listen to this. When it comes to him loving you, he can't help himself. It's, it's who he is. He is love. And so this passage is, is not talking about your love for your children. It's not talking about your spouse's love for you or a Christian's love for you. It's talking about God's love for you. His love never fails because he is love. Now on that note, as we pick it up again in verse 8, verses 8 through 10. Paul now points out that spiritual gifts may end, but love never ends. Verse 8 again, love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. Now I want to notice that last line when he says, when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. Now there's some debate on this. You see, on the one hand, there are those who, who, who debate that, that when it's talking about the perfect coming, it's talking about the, the perfect Word of God, the, the complete Bible that now that we have the the complete Bible, it's the perfect word of God, Uh, you know, it's it's perfect, it's complete, it's finished. Uh, You know, Psalm 19, verse 7 says, the law of the Lord is perfect. And so now there are some who would say, you know what? during the time of the apostles, when the apostles were alive and the apostles were still writing the Bible, they're still writing scripture, you know, spiritual gifts like, like prophecy and, and, and tongues and these other gifts, those were necessary to prove that the apostles really were the apostles. But now that the apostles are dead and now that the Bible is complete, it's finished, we don't need those spiritual gifts anymore. Those gifts have ceased because we have the complete, the perfect word of God. Now, as another Calvary Chapel pastor, John Corson, points out, Corson points out that that view, by the way, was not even suggested until 1906. It wasn't suggested until 1906, after the so-called Azusa Street Revival, where many people felt threatened by this move of the Holy Spirit that was taking place, and they didn't know what to do with it, and they tried to explain it away by quoting this verse saying, you know what? When the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. They'll say, yeah, you know what? Back in the old times, yeah, we needed the the, the the gifts. We needed those because the scripture was still being written by the apostles. But now that the scripture is closed, now that the perfect has come, we don't need those gifts anymore. But as Corson points out, that uh, suggestion wasn't even given until 1906. In other words, church history points out that spiritual gifts like prophecy, like tongues, and so on and so forth, the gifts lived long after the apostles died. For example, uh, Church Father Irenaeus, I've shared this before, Church Father Irenaeus, who lived from 130 to 200 AD, he, he documents cases of people speaking in tongues and people prophesying. He documents people being healed, and this was after the apostles had died. Tertullian uh, who lived from 160 to 215 AD he also documents healings and prophecies and tongues and then and then there's Augustine who lived from 354 to 430 AD some 2 to 300 years after the apostles had died He, uh, in his book titled, The City of God, documents cases of healings and miracles and people speaking in tongues and people prophesying some two to three hundred years after the apostles had died. In other words, even after the apostles had died, even after the Bible was complete, the spiritual gifts lived on. And so now, while I do believe that the Word of God is perfect, that the Word of God is complete, it's finished, We're no longer writing Scripture today. It is perfect. It is complete. I do not believe, however, that that is what verse 10 is talking about when it says, when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. I believe that the the perfect that's being talked about here in verse 10, I believe it's talking about God himself. God himself. Listen, there is Scripture after Scripture that tells us that God himself is perfect. Uh, uh, Ezekiel 27 verse 3, God himself says, I am perfect in beauty. Deuteronomy uh, 32 verse 4 says, "He he is the rock, his work is perfect. Psalm 18 verse 30 says, as for God, his way is perfect. And then in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 28, speaking of Jesus, it says, The law appointed high priests who were limited by human weakness, but after the law was given, God appointed his son with an oath, and his son has been made the perfect high priest forever. And so I believe that that what's being called the perfect in in chapter 13 is Jesus himself, God incarnate, God in human flesh. In effect, uh, Paul's saying, you know what, when Jesus Christ, the perfect one, God in human flesh, when Jesus Christ comes back, the gifts will cease. We won't need these gifts anymore. He's saying, you know what, when Jesus returns, he's like, you know, think about it. People won't need the gift of speaking in tongues because we will all be able to speak the heavenly language. He's saying when Jesus comes back, we're not going to need the truth revealed to us by prophets. No, because Jesus will be revealing things to us directly himself. And when Jesus comes back, we won't need the gift of healing because there won't be any more sickness. There won't be any more cancer. There'll be no more suffering. These things will cease when the perfect one comes. And so he's saying the gifts of the spirit, spiritual gifts may cease, but love never ends. Why? Because God is love. And when God incarnate, God in human flesh comes back, these things will cease. And on that note, verses 11 and 12 show us that love gives us something to look forward to. Verse 11, Paul says, When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. I've met a lot of people like this. Uh, and, and Paul says, I, when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. I haven't met very many people like this. Uh, verse 12, Paul says, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but, when, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall f- know fully, even, even as I am fully known. Now it's interesting, that line there in verse 12 when he says, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. I believe that's a phrase that would not have have been lost on the Corinthian church. Why do I say that? Well, because you need to know that the city of Corinth in ancient times was world famous for making mirrors. They were like the mirror capital of the world. Now, when we say mirrors, it's not like the modern day mirror made out of glass that has like like a black backing or a special backing that will make it reflective. That kind of mirror didn't come into the pages of history until the 1200s. But back in ancient times, back in biblical times, what they used for mirrors were polished metal. And the city of Corinth was world famous for their polished bronze mirrors. People would travel the globe just to buy one of these mirrors, the mirror capital of the world. And yet, listen, even even the finest, even the best Corinthian bronze mirror would still, when you looked at it, the image would be be dim. The image would, would, would be unclear. Even the finest mirror gave you a dim image. And so the Corinthians, I think, Paul was speaking their language. They knew exactly what Paul was talking about when he says, says, For we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. And I believe the phrase face to face is speaking of a face-to-face relationship with Jesus. You know that currently, in, in, in the time that we're living right now, we see him dimly. We don't know him that well. We don't know him in the same way. But there's coming a time where we will see him face to face. 1 Peter 1.8 says, though you have not seen him, you love him. That's the time that we're in right now. We're in this time right now where we have not seen him, but we love him. But there's coming a time where we will see him face to face. 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, it says, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. There's coming this time where we will see him face to face. We know him dimly now, but we will see him as he is in this coming time. I read, read about the hymn writer uh, named Fanny Crosby. Now she wrote hymns back in the, in the early 1900s. In fact, she wrote 8,000 hymns, 8,000 worship songs. Now, if you know her story, uh, you know that she was blind. Now, she wasn't born blind, but she, be- she became blind in childhood. But she loved to, to just worship Jesus. In fact, as I said, she wrote 8,000 hymns, 8,000 worship songs. Now, one of them is still famous and still being sung in churches today. It's called Redeemed. Some of you know the chorus. It says, I think of my blessed Redeemer. I think of him all the day long. I sing for I cannot be silent. I, uh, his love is the theme of my song. Now, she was asked in, in, in an interview, they, they said, you know, Fanny, do you ever wish that, that you could see? She says, no, the only thing I ever wished is I, I wished that I had, had been born blind. I wish I never had sight. I wish I was born blind. They said, why? She said, that way, the, the, the very first face I would ever see, the very first face that would gladden my spirit would be the face of my Redeemer when I see him in heaven. And there's coming a time when you will see him face to face. His love gives us something to look forward to. And now Paul drives it home by saying in verse 13 that the greatest of these is love. Again, verse 13, he says, So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. I think in many ways that statement there in verse 13, the greatest of these is love, is sort of the bookend to Paul's thought. Now, Paul's thought, follow along with me, Paul's thought actually started back in chapter 12, verse 31, where Paul said this. He said, earnestly desire the greater gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. And now he ends that thought at the end of chapter 13, verse 13, by saying, the greatest of these is love. Now that word greater in chapter 12 verse 31 and then the word greatest in chapter 13 verse 13 are the same Greek word. It's the Greek word "megas." He starts with this word and he ends with this word. It's a bookend. He started his thought and now he ends his thought and it's the Greek word "megas." It means greatest in size, greatest in importance, greatest in weight. Now remember, as I said before, the Corinthians were, were a church that were, that were fighting over, over what the greatest spiritual gift was. And some were like, you know what, the greatest spiritual gift is the gift of tongues. In fact, you know what, if you're not speaking in tongues, you're not even saved. You're not even going to heaven. Then there were others who were like, oh yeah, well the greatest spiritual gift is prophecy. In, in fact, if you reject the words of the prophet, you're basically rejecting God himself. And they went back and forth and forth and back, and they kept fighting over this. And so Paul tells them, yeah, earnestly desire the greater gifts. And then he says, but I'll show you a more excellent way. And about this point, the Corinthians are thinking, well, well what can be more excellent? What could be greater than, than, than the greatest spiritual gift? What could be greater than the gift of tongues? Or what could be greater than the gift of prophecy? And so Paul sums it all up by saying, the greatest of these is love. It's the bookend to his thought. Now, by the way, let's remember how chapter 13 started. Remember chapter 13, verses 1 and 2, Paul starts by saying, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all knowledge and have faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am Nothing. And so we notice this phrase, Paul says, if I have not love. Notice he doesn't say, if I don't show love, if I don't give love, if I don't act with love. He says, if I have not love. Reminding us that there's a difference between having something versus doing something. Now, we said last week, of course, that love is a verb, and that's true. Love is a verb, but listen to this. It's also a person. Here's that verse again 1 John 4, verse 8. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. So, yes, love is a verb, but it's also a person, the person of God. God is love. And so in many ways, chapter 13 is not asking, you know, are, 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 are you behaving more loving? It's not asking, are you showing love? No, chapter 13 is asking, do you have love? Do you have love? And so in some ways, chapter 13 is a reminder that if he, who is love, is actually inside of you, if he dwells in you, then you know what? That means you have everything you need to love one another. If he who is love dwells in you, you have everything you need to love one another. Again, we think of of John 13, 34, where Jesus said, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. It's interesting. Jesus said this is a new commandment, But it wasn't a new commandment. He's actually quoting Leviticus 19 verse 18 that tells you to love your neighbor as yourself. So if it's not a new commandment, then why did Jesus say, I gave you a new commandment? Well, the Greek word that Jesus used for new when he said, I give you a new commandment is the Greek word kainos. Now, kainos does not mean new like as in brand new, like a newborn baby or or a brand new car. No, it, 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 that, that would be the Greek word neos. But the word Jesus uses, kanos, which, which does not mean brand new. It means refreshed. It means renewed. Something got stale, something got stagnant, and it needs to be refreshed. It needs to be renewed. And so Jesus is saying, you know what? I've come to renew an old commandment. To refresh an old commandment. He's saying, what's the key to, to loving one another like Leviticus 19 tells us to? The key to, to loving one another is to be loved by me. Jesus is saying, "He's saying, you know what? When when you experience my unconditional love, my perfect love, my true love, when when your love, when my love comes into your life and changes your life, then you'll be able to love one another." So, how does the old commandment of Leviticus get refreshed, get renewed? It gets refreshed, it gets renewed when the author of the commandment, is now living in you. When he dwells in you, when love himself is dwelling in you, you have the power to love one another. We've talked about this before, the fruit of the Spirit. You know, Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, it says the the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And what it's saying is that, you know what? When we talk about fruit, what do we mean? Well, fruit means proof. So the idea is that, you know what? This is the proof that the Holy Spirit's actually in you. That if the Holy Spirit is in you, we should see his character traits in you. We should see his love, his peace, his patience, his kindness, his goodness, his faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We should see his attributes in you if he's actually in you. It's proof, it's fruit that he's in you. It's like the little girl I told you about before who came home from church, and she, she told her mom, she said, you know, pastor, the pastor's sermon really really confused me this morning. She came to this church, and that's why. But anyway, uh, her, her mom said, well, why? She said, well, the pastor said that God's bigger than we are. Is that true? And, and her mom says, well, yeah, honey, of course that's true. God is much bigger than we are. She said, yeah, but, but then the pastor said that God lives inside of us. Is, is that true? She said, she said yeah, honey, if, if you believe in Jesus, then God lives in you. She said, yeah, but but if God lives in me, and if God is also bigger than me, then shouldn't he stick out? And it's true. That's, That's the point of Galatians 5. That if the Holy Spirit's in you, he should be sticking out. People should see his attributes in your life. If love, God is love, if love dwells in you, people should see it. Do you realize, by the way, that you have everything you need to live a thriving, healthy Christian life? Everything you need, you already have. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, it says, He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. I dare you to look up the word uh, every in the Greek language. You know what, you know what you're going to find? The word every means every. He's left nothing out. Everything you need, you already have. But I say that because so many of us as Christians, we spend so much time in prayer asking, for, asking God to give us things that we already have. You know, for example, we ask for more power. You know, more power to overcome uh, this addiction or to, or to break this stronghold or to get through this thing. But, 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 but we're told in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 that we have power. His divine power is given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. I suggest we, we just haven't tapped into the power we already have. Sometimes we pray for, for more joy and more, and more happiness. But Jesus said in John 15, 11, he says, these things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full or complete. And then sometimes we ask for more love. In fact, back in the 80s, we had a worship song. It, it went like this. It said, you know, more love, more power, more of you in my life. But But... The Bible tells us in Romans chapter five, verse five, that the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who is given to us. We already have all that we need. I've told you before about William Randolph or Hearst. Now Hearst was one of the wealthiest men who ever lived, but but he 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 spent a, a fortune collecting some of the most rare and most expensive artifacts in the world. So one day he's reading in a magazine an article about this rare artifact. The more he reads about it, the more he decides he must own it. He needs to have it. He has to find it. So he finds uh, his, his employees, his agents, and he, and he, he dispatches them and says, I want, you to, I want you to travel the world and find this artifact. Don't come back until you found it. So they're searching high and they're searching low. They search for months. And they finally come back and they're like, sir, we've got some good news and some bad news like, the good news is we found the artifact you've been looking for. He's like, well, where was it? Was it it in Egypt? And they're like, no. Was was it in China? No. Russia? No. Well, where was it? Well, sir, that leads us to the bad news. The bad news, we spent all this money looking for it, and you already own it. It's been sitting in your warehouse this whole time. And, And in the same way, listen, if you have Jesus in your life, that means you already have the storehouse of all the love you need dwelling within you. And so in many ways, 1 Corinthians 13 is reminding us that when we fail to love others as Christians, it doesn't mean we need to act more loving. Doesn't mean It doesn't mean we need to do more loving things. It means we need to tap into the infinite storehouse of love that's been given to us. This also serves as a reminder that when others fail you, you, your your parents may have failed you, your family may may have failed you, other Christians may have failed you, this passage reminds us that God will never fail you because God himself is perfect, unfailing love. Amen? So Father, we thank you. We thank you that you are love. You don't just love us, you are love. We don't need to do anything to earn your love. This is just who you are. So we just, we just bow in your presence. We submit to you, Lord. As unworthy as we feel, maybe because of the things that have been done to us, have perverted us, maybe the perverted things we've done or are doing, and we have this skewed, warped, perverted view of love which then gives us a warped, skewed, perverted view of you. So we just pray that your spirit would fall in this place right now. You would renew our minds, transform our, 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 our minds, that we would see you for who you are, that you are perfect, unfailing love. We worship you and adore you in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to the Calvary Brighton Podcast. To find out more about our ministry in Brighton, Colorado, go to calvarychapelbrighton.com.